It's just a few weeks until school's out for summer. So summer camps, uh, they're all about to begin. And I've been doing letters of reference for some young people who are excited about getting out there, away from school, away from parents whom they have been locked down with for many months. I get that. I feel that. And summer romances. People meet away from their normal life with time to talk and get to know each other in a way that you just, you can't do at school. And romance grows. I guess I'm kind of a romantic about all of this. And I remember one summer, I fell hard for Emily. Back then, I thought she was the most amazing person on the planet. At summer at camp, we, we talked about deep thoughts. We, we canoed, and, and I thought she was super cute. And it was special. And like all good things, the end of summer came, and I, I remember we had tears as we said goodbye and we promised to stay in touch. In its own way, the early church experienced a summer romance. In locations all around the ancient Near East, from Egypt up through Judea, across into the Tur Turkish Peninsula, Greek, Rome, and eventually as far as modern-day Spain, there were these communities that came under this Christian influence to dismantle the divisions of their day. People who did not identify ethnically or religiously as Jews began to participate in Christian communities. And these communities often met in Jewish synagogues all over the place. Here's an ancient list of these Gentiles who were also known as God-fearers. And it was found on the wall of an ancient synagogue in Aphrodosius, which was in southwest Turkey. And it was a special time. People who had lived divided from each other began to come together, to have deep thoughts, and they discovered that they had so much in common. And like all good things, this special time came to an end. The Apostle Peter, a lifelong Jew, who had known Jesus personally, walked with him, seen him crucified, had been all part of the original ministry. Peter was great with non-Jews being part of the church community, mostly, as long as they were willing to go all the way and get circumcised. Maybe then they would be okay. The Apostle Paul was having None of that. So it was agreed that Barnabas and I would go to the Gentiles while Peter, James, and John continued to go to the people who were circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which was certainly something I was willing to do. So they came to an agreement that they'd go their separate ways as long as the mission to help the poor was kept. Time passed, and Peter and Paul 
met up in Antioch, and Paul wrote this. I opposed Peter to his face because he was wrong. He had been eating with the Gentiles before certain people came from James. But when they came, he began to back out and separate himself because he was afraid of the people who promoted circumcision and the rest of the Jews who joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas got carried away with them in their hypocrisy. Oh, cold. Gentiles were okay to hang out with during the summer, but God forbid you got caught with them later. Peter and even Barnabas, they didn't want to be caught eating with uncircumcised non-Jews. Even if supposedly this was the whole point of being church, was dismantling these divisions. Emily and I wrote to each other for a couple of months after camp. And I remember we decided to meet up. And she lived a few hours away. And one Saturday, I drove and met her and some of her school friends at, at the mall. It was the 80s after all. The magic was gone. It was cold. It was like she was embarrassed by me, which I get, and it hurt. And she didn't seem like the amazing person from that summer, and I clearly didn't seem that way to her. The Apostle Paul was hurt. And unlike teenage Aaron, he confronted it directly. If you, a Jew, live like non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem cronies? Peter was worried about what people would think of him. Peter was like this. Some people simply do not belong. Paul, though, would have none of that. Paul goes on to say, We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are set right with God not by rule-keeping, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus' way so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't per perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. 
the whole point of the early church was to dismantle the divisions that led some people to believe that somehow they are better than somebody else, either by their education, by their nationality, by their skin color, by the amount of money that they have, whatever it was. The whole point, though, was to tear that old barn down, not just to change the dividing lines to where we'd like them, because doing that, you, just, you really haven't done anything by doing that. You, you see it in church communities where the building is sometimes treated like a clubhouse over being a community center or a mission post. It happens whenever people feel more entitled, more worthy, or even better than someone else. This is the drift I talked about last Sunday. How we move away from those basic tenets of Jesus' way. And you see it all the time, not just in religion. How often did President Obama back in the day, what, how did, often did he have to prove that he was black enough, but not too black, to be accepted? And how often do you hear people talk about how their state, wherever they live, is the real America, or somehow better than the others? How often do women have to prove that they can do a job as well as a man? We have all these rules and metrics that we human beings, we get in our minds to try to figure out who is accepted and who is worthy. Jesus' way is supposed to take people as they are, broken and beautiful. It's that our human differences, our diversity, is a blessing in the kingdom of God. That if we try to care, to actually get to know people deeply, yet maybe to realize that life at camp is actually no less real, that the relationships, the love that we experience in that setting, they can change us. That maybe when church intentionally tries to be different, gives people time and space with one another, time and space beyond all the difference in castes and divisions that dominate our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, maybe if church can do that, church can be different. We can be a demonstration plot of a better world. So as we're relaunching as a church community, I wonder if we can find new ways of being church like that. How can a little church community like this one be an even better beacon of hope and inclusivity and dignity for all in this divided world? It got me thinking at our Ramadan dinner last week, that dinner we had with our Muslim immigrant friends from Turkey, who, by the way, are really hoping that we can do Thanksgiving dinner again together this year. If you've ever been that, that's just an amazing day. Anyway, it got me thinking about how we might take a step with them beyond dinner parties. It got me thinking about how do you create an environment in which we spend time together, 
share deep thoughts. We work and play together. You and I, we've been isolated from each other for a while. Not just as a church community, but as a wider community. Isolation can foster division, fear, anger. Have you seen any of that in yourself or in the people around you? But I'm going to tell you something. As a former church camp director, I'm going to tell you that the recipe of church camp works. You take people away from the environment that reinforces our divisions and our castes, whatever that, whatever that environment looks like, and you put them in nature. Love will grow. And it'll storm too. There is a pattern to these things. So it's got me thinking how God may want you and I to be church in this time and place. What do you think? Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you call people to be church, to dismantle the divisions in our world. The diversity you created is a gift. Help inspire us. Call us to live in your way and bless us with those special church camp moments when love seems possible. Amen.